0: I think that song deserves all six verses. What are you? Uh, what a great song. Wish I'd have wrote it. How are you all doing today? I'm doing fine. I apologize for missing our meal last week. Barbara Rose uh, wasn't feeling well uh, after Bible class and had to leave and I had to go be with her. And we missed uh, our dinner we were looking forward to so very much. Um, That was then, and this is today, though. Maybe everything's better. Uh, I want to continue on our study of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I know it's been getting off to a slow start because there's a lot of... uh, introductory information, I think personally, this is uh, very important to understanding the overall uh, sermon that Jesus preached. Some people say, with regard to blessed are the poor in spirit, that Jesus' preaching was aimed at the materially poor, uh, those who uh, have very little of this world's goods. That's what he was uh, talking about when he mentioned the poor. Uh, In Luke 4 and 18, uh, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, our Lord said, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus' preaching was aimed not at all people, but it was aimed at, to the poor, these were the people he was looking for. That's what some say. Again, in Matthew 11, verses four and five, when John's disciples found Jesus, Jesus uh, responded to their request to know if he was the one. Uh, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. They've been witnessing what he was doing, healing people. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. Go and tell these things to John. But I want you to also tell John that the poor have the gospel preached to them. There's a good many people, a good many preachers who believe that Jesus is talking about being materially poor when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke 18 and verse 24, Jesus made the statement how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. He was not fond of the rich. He was more inclined to the poor, they say. In James 2 and 5, even James said, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? This notion of being Poor uh, is quite popular. Uh, However, uh, I believe those who advocate that Jesus favored the poor and not the wealthy uh, is is really wrong. That's uh, not the case at all. Uh, Jesus rebuked the proud and the wealthy, and he did. In Revelations 3 and 17, he was talking to one of his churches, the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And he he said, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have have need of nothing. Life is good. And do not even know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus didn't condemn uh, wealth. And this is one of the things uh, I think some people misunderstand. It wasn't wealth per se that he opposed. No New Testament character was condemned because they were wealthy, not even one. There's no Old Testament character who was ever condemned because he was wealthy. Not one. Never happened. People who were wealthy were condemned, but if I remember correctly, people who were poor were condemned also. It's not a a question of were all poor people or all wealthy people that Jesus opposed. It was something much, much different. In the New Testament, We know that Nicodemus, the Roman centurion, Joseph of Arimathea, and Philemon, they were all wealthy. They were all God-seeking men, but they were all wealthy. They were well-to-do, but they're not condemned quite to the contrary. The scripture commends them to us as God-seeking men. So what is it that Jesus condemned? Well, I think most of us know it was the love of wealth, the love of money, the love of material things, the love of a big house, the love of a lot of land. Well, land wasn't bad. Land is indifferent. If a person had 10,000 acres, they could be a godly person. But if they loved land so much, if that was their top priority that's where the rub came in that's what made it wrong in Mark 10 verses 23 through 6 Jesus looked around and then he said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God the disciples they were astonished that he would say such a thing the the thinking of the average person at that time, was that if you were a good person, God would bless you with good things, and if you were a bad person, God wouldn't really have much to do with you. On this, in this particular instance, Jesus is talking to uh, the disciples about people like the scribes and the Pharisees. And he made this statement, how hard it is for those who are rich. And they couldn't believe it. Their ultimate question is going to be, if, if they can't be saved, who can? They're the best of the best. Because the good people are blessed by God. The bad people, they're not blessed at all. The whole, the whole thinking was wrong. That was the way people thought back in the day of Job. They were still thinking the same things in the day of Christ and a lot of people still think the same thing today. I've heard people say that if you're a Christian and you live a good life, good things are going to come your way. Maybe, maybe not. Just because we're Christians, just because we be children of God That doesn't mean the things we might like to have are always gonna be ours to enjoy. But quite to the contrary. It might be that a loving father seems a problem in our heart, in our nature. Maybe we want too much. Maybe we enjoy too much. And it might be that a loving father, knowing that his child is in danger he might discipline that child and take away what he has. Isn't that what happened to Job? Didn't the Lord teach Job a lesson? A very wealthy man. He was a good man. He was a wealthy man. His theology was wrong. He believed that because he was good, he would be blessed, and if he were poor, he would be punished. And here he is. He's a a rich man. He's done nothing really wrong, and yet he's being punished. It's not supposed to work this way. And he was angry with the Lord. And he asked him, why do you shoot darts at me? What have I done? Why are you causing me to suffer this way? Job had a fault in his thinking. And after going through three cycles of discussion with his friends, the Lord finally stepped in to make the matter clear. To make a long story short, God had disciplined Job to teach him a very valuable lesson that just because you're a good person that doesn't mean good things are always going to happen to you sometimes it might be necessary that bad things happen to you we forget sometimes why we're here this is a training ground it's like going into the the military you gotta go to boot camp and what do they do in boot camp they break you down they make you feel like nothing and then they'll build you back up the way they want you to be but first they they've gotta break you down and then they build you up sometimes uh, that's what the Lord has to do that's what happened to job that's what happened to others look at Paul the apostle he was struck blind for a little while This, this notion that because we're living a good life, that everything's going to go our way, we got to put that to rest. Otherwise, our faith is going to be shocked sometimes because there's going to be times when our faith is going to be tested. God tests our faith on occasion to make our faith stronger if we pass the test. But if we feel like either we've been deserted by God or we start questioning the very existence of God, what may have been meant to be discipline may turn out to be very destructive. No, bad things happen to good people. But these people, they didn't understand that. And if the rich couldn't be saved, who could? This was the apostles' they're raising that question Jesus answered them and he said children how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and they were greatly astonished talking to one another they were afraid to talk to the Lord who then can be saved if not the good, rich man, then who? What the Lord said and what we want to concentrate on, he was speaking about those who trusted in riches. There's a big difference there. It's like, it's like the love of money versus money. So many times I've heard people say, money is the root of all evil. That's not what Paul said. He said the love of money, is the root of all evil. It's not money, money's inanimate, it's nothing. It can't do bad, it can't do good. It depends on the person that's holding the money, whether it's used for the wrong reason or good reason. And those who love money, they're going to push other things aside to get to the money. We always go for our first love, that's what we follow. And that's what Jesus was talking about. It's not wrong to want a new house. It's not wrong to want a new car. These things, that's not evil. The question is, what would I do to have them? Will I lie? Will I cheat? If so, then it becomes wrong. The definition of poor as it's used in the scriptures, I'm just going to use two of the definitions. The meaning of poor as it's applied in classical and philosophical usage, uh, the word poor in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 implies a lower degree of poverty than the word poor used in many other places, such as in Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 9. In 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul uses the word penne, and he's talking about people who are poor in the sense that they live from check to check. Okay, They're making a little money, enough money to keep their heads above water. They're making a little money, but they've got to keep working week after week after week. If they miss a week's paycheck, they're not going to be able to pay their rent, and there's going to be problems. So the word poor is used in this sense many, many times in the scriptures. But the word poor, as it's used in Matthew 5 and 3, implies a lower degree of poverty, even lower than living check to check. The word poor, as it appears in verse 5 and 3, is speaking about a person that is so poor, so destitute, that he, can't help himself, he can't buy a sandwich, he can't buy a cup of coffee, he has nothing, he has nothing whatsoever, he's very, very poor. So the word poor is used in Second Corinthians 9 and 9, one who labors for his daily bread. As it's used in Matthew 5 and 3, it's one who lives by begging, So when you think about the word poor, you might want to think about a beggar. The Lord is saying, blessed are the beggars in spirit. Beggars. Or you might think, blessed are the destitute in spirit. The word destitute basically implies the same thing. If you destitute, you have nothing. So let's think about the word destitute. It's not hardly as ugly as beggar. Uh, the word destitute, when we think about it, we know that in Matthew 5 and 3, it does not involve money or wealth, okay? That's not what poor means, that you just don't have, you're not rich. That's not the meaning of it. Uh, to the contrary, in Luke 16, verses 20 and 21, we have a commentary on the word poor as it's used in Matthew 5 and 3. Jesus was telling the account of the rich man and Lazarus. He said there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores. He was laid at his gate, the rich man's gate. Why? He was desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Look at the look at look at the beggar what he's got. Number one, he's full of sores. No medical treatment. He can't afford it. Can't go to the doctor. He doesn't have the money to see a doctor. There were no free clinics back then. He was laid at the gate of the rich man. He was laid. He was so poor, he was so beggarly that he had to be carried by other people. He had to depend on the mercy of other people to get him to a place where he could start begging and hopefully get something to eat for that day. He was desiring to be fed with crumbs. Desiring, he was so hungry. He was, he was so, so hungry that he was willing to lay at this man's gate. Hopefully he'll receive enough to be fed with crumbs, the leftovers, the garbage, Hopefully someone in that kitchen will take mercy on him and bring him out what was going to go perhaps to the dogs. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's what he meant by poor. He meant someone that's as poor as Lazarus. Someone that was destitute, someone that was broken down. We want to understand The quality of his poverty <clears throat> he was destitute in spirit now Lazarus was destitute in material things but Jesus isn't talking about material things he's talking about being a beggar in spirit the inner person the person who knows that there's more to life than what he's doing. The person that realizes that he's a sinner. And as a sinner, he knows the wages of his sins is death. And there's nothing he can do about it. He can't help himself, he can't pay his debt, he has nothing to pay with. And there he lies at the gate of heaven, begging, begging for mercy, that mercy might come. To be destitute in spirit is to recognize one's spiritual poverty being apart from God. He's on the wrong side of the fence. And he doesn't want to be there anymore. It's to see ourselves as we really are. Lost, hopeless, and helpless. And without God, that's what a person is. They're lost, being estranged from God. They're hopeless because they can't help themselves. They have to hope. that God will take mercy on them and do for them what he can't do for himself. Just like Lazarus. Except this has to do with the eternal one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, some say that doesn't make sense. Everybody's destitute and that's true. In Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 6.23, the wages of our sin is death. Tell me a person who doesn't fit that category. We all do. But there's got to be a difference between the blessed person who is poor in spirit and the rest. And there is. Blessed are the poor, those who are poor in spirit, I would say, and they realize it. They know that they're poor in spirit. Luke 18, Jesus told uh, an account where two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Oh, he was good. He was godly. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling class. The other man was a tax collector. Scum of the earth. Scum of the earth, tax collectors were. They were Donalds. They betrayed their Jewish brethren in order to collect taxes for the Roman government. They were traitors to Judaism, the scum of the earth. They had nothing to do with them. A good Jew would. not Only sinners fool with tax collectors, scum of the earth. The Pharisee stood and he prayed as you'd expect a Pharisee to pray. He prayed not to God, you see, He prayed with himself. He was giving himself an attaboy. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this scummy tax collector standing over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. God, I'm the real McCoy. Aren't you proud I'm here? That was the man's attitude. He'd worked for his salvation, and he knew it. He knew he was going to heaven because he was a good man. He was a good man that did good things. And because he was a good man that did good things, he knew the gates of heaven would be open wide when he wanted to enter. He wasn't like that sorry tax collector. And the tax collector appears sorry. Sorry. He stood afar off. He couldn't go up in the place where the Pharisee was. He knew, he, he, knew he, he couldn't do that because he knew he was the scum of the earth. He knew he was sorry as dog vomit. He stood afar off, away from the Pharisee. He would not even raise his eyes up to heaven and pray to God. Instead, he beat his breast, saying only, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said nothing good about himself. He had nothing to say. He was poor in spirit. He was busted. Both men were poor in spirit, were they not? But there's a difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector knew he was poor in spirit. The Pharisee did not. And Jesus said this tax collector, he'll go down to his house justified, pardoned, forgiven. He'll have fellowship with God. That tax collector will not. Everybody thought he would when they seen him on the street. They would hail this most godly man. And he was walking the road to destruction while the scum of the earth was embraced by God. Poor in spirit or humility is crucial to our salvation, crucial to our salvation. In Isaiah 66:1 one and two, that says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? I feel eternity. I fill the creation. I rest my feet on planet earth. For all those things, <laughs> my hand made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. Do you think I'm really interested in this creation? Not at all. But on this one will I look. This is what catches the eye of God. On him who is poor in spirit and of contrite spirit the word spirit is implied with both of these particular qualities him who is poor in spirit him who is contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word that's the person that catches the eye of God not the good person in his own eye but the one who is poor in spirit and realizes it. In Psalm 34 and 18, the Lord is near those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, contrite spirit. These, O God, you will not despise. Humility is the meaning of it all. Biblical men of God came to realize that they were poor in spirit. Moses Moses when he come into confrontation with God he he didn't want to be there he didn't need to be there he tried once to lead Israel out of Egypt and then he messed up and he did not need to be in contact with the Holy One God needed to look somewhere else for a servant not to Moses Moses was ashamed in the presence of God and he had no right to be where he was standing Peter the Apostle he was with our Lord for a little while and then one day he realized just who Jesus was. He was God. All this time he had spent with the Lord and he didn't know it. And now Jesus has calmed the storm. He told nature to stop and it stopped. And when the Lord approached him, he fell down at Jesus' feet and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter became poor in spirit right then. At that moment, he realized he was destitute in spirit. He had no right to be in the presence of God. And you know what happened? He caught the eye of God because that's what God was looking for. A person who realized his total, complete dependency on deity. And without God, he wouldn't be able to help himself. Paul. Paul was a Pharisee who had done good things in the kingdom of God. He fulfilled every whim of the Sanhedrin. He was currently on a mission to arrest blasphemers otherwise known as Christians and put them in prison or perhaps put some to death because he was God's man. But one day Paul encountered Jesus and when he did, he was broken right there on the spot. He was broken. The one he despised, he's now talking to But for the first time in his life, he realized who Jesus is. And Paul's entire demeanor changed. He was no longer the glorified Pharisee. Now he was a sinner. Nothing good, he said, dwells in me. I mean in my flesh. There's nothing good. He referred to himself as the chief of sinners. In First Timothy one and fifteen. Look at the godly men in the Bible and see if they aren't broken. Just like the army breaks down a man in basic training. Look at these great characters of the Bible and see if they weren't broken down so that God could build them back up. There's a moment in each of their lives when they came to to see themselves as they truly ought, Incapable of helping themselves go on to eternal life. They couldn't do enough good works. They couldn't say enough good things. No matter what they did, at the end of the day they sinned and they knew that their sins would bar them from heaven. The poor in spirit, I believe, and this is the reason I've talked so much about it. I believe, and I may be the only person in the world that believes this, I don't know. But I believe that the poor in spirit is a fundamental foundational characteristic of the children of God. I believe that the poor in spirit is what we must become before we can become anything at all. I believe that the Sermon on the Mount, the entire sermon, is built off of this one characteristic that Jesus stated. Benjamin Franklin, in his list of virtues, he put humility last, number 10. Jesus, in his list of virtues, the Beatitudes here, he put humility first. I believe he put it first because it's of great importance, more than we may ever think about it. We think about the love of God, how important that is, right? And we love our neighbors as ourselves. commandment number one, commandment number two. But what about humility? Where does it fit in this list of virtues? In this list, Christ put it first, and I think there's a reason for it. As we pass through the things he has to say, see if at the foundation of everything he talks about doesn't come back and rest on humility or poor in spirit I believe it's very important for us to learn and understand in Luke 9 he said to all people if anyone desires to come after me you must first deny yourself you must take up your cross on a daily basis and then you must follow me you must If you want to follow me and be successful in doing so, you must do these things, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Save his life, I believe, means to preserve our worldview of life. Go to school, get a good job, build a big house, maybe get a boat, maybe get a car and a truck. The worldview of success. Whoever wants to preserve that worldview for your life, ultimately you will lose your life because eternal life won't be yours. <clears throat> but whoever loses his life, whoever dethrones himself, takes himself off the throne. For Christ's sake, dethrone myself as the ruler of my life, enthrone Christ as the ruler of my life. My wishes are out. His wishes are in. Whoever loses his life for my sake, what about this person, Lord? He'll save his life. He'll live on in eternity. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, 19 and 20, He said, I, through the law, died to the law. I died to law. I died to the law of Moses. He dethroned himself. He put himself to death. Took himself off the throne in the process. Why? That I might live to God. I had to dethrone myself so that God could rule in my life. God had to become the authority in my life. If I want to do this and God wants me to do that, God always overrules my wants because he's the ruler of my life. What are you saying, Paul? I have been crucified with Christ. The word crucified implies his death. Just as Christ was put to death, Just as Christ subjected the will of the Father, subjected himself to it, just as Christ was willing to put himself last, even so did I, Paul, saying, I crucified with Christ. Why? It is no longer I who lives. Now Christ lives in me. He's the one driving this car. He's the one in control of this vessel. What this person this body does in this world is directed by Christ because he's the ruler of my life it's no longer me the old me that guy died a long time ago so that Christ could rule in my life and turn it upside down and I'm not exaggerating He turned me upside down. And the life which I am now living while I'm in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To live by faith is to live by what? In Romans 10 and 17, Paul said, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. To live by faith is to live by the instructions in the word of God because it was given by the son of god the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me i think this is another commentary on what it means to be poor in spirit but what about me blessed happy are the poor in spirit. Well, that makes no sense at all. Well, sure it does. Because the person who is poor in spirit and realizes it, he's going to be added to the kingdom of God. No matter what happens in my world, I know I have a father. I have a Savior. I know one day eternity will be my home. Heaven is where I'll live. And because I know that, I can endure anything. I must endure everything. And no matter how, life, how hard life gets, and it gets hard sometimes, I know there's a great day coming. And I can grip my teeth that long that I can live with the Son of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first virtue, very, very important. But what about you? Have you ever come to the point where you truly realize who you are and what you are? As far as the big picture, have you truly turned your life over to God and let him make your decisions Let him be the driver of your life, so to speak. He'll turn your world upside down. I guarantee it. Flip mine over. I do things now I never would have imagined at one time. I died, and now I live. Man, man it just don't get no better than this. I Think I'm the happiest man in the world sometimes right now. I got a knife sticking in my back But I'm so happy to be here with you. I could absolutely bust It's hard to understand But it's true That can be you it is I know many of you But that could be you who doesn't really understand what I'm talking about. It's one of those things you got to experience, I think, to fully appreciate it. You younger ones, you may not understand it yet. You will one day. Takes time. I think I was past 50 before I really understood. Takes time got to learn a lot before you can grasp the good stuff. And it's sweet, man, it is sweet. My family's bigger now than it's ever been in my life. Look at you. There's no place like home. God loves you so much, he let Jesus die. And he's willing to break you down and build you back up That you can be all you can be. The zenith of life is being in Christ.